if you're new here today, I just want to welcome you. Um, this is a place of, well, this is a people of Jesus. And this is a special group that wants to love you, that wants to uh, help disciple you, that wants to come alongside you, that wants to help you grow as an individual, as a family, uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Uh, this is the time. This is the time in this world where followers of Christ need to be banded together and unified like never before. And so I pray for you, if you're new, you're checking this place out, whatever it is, that you would find a home here if this is where God is leading you. And we want to make that home as hospitable, as friendly, as the fellowship that's just as strong as possible, that you might learn the word. We're, we're big in the Bible here. We think that God knows a lot more than us, and so we really focus on his word. And so that's what you're going to get most weeks, and hopefully this week will be in the Bible as well. Um, this type of thing where I let you ask questions and I answer them, this is for you. This is for, uh, because I don't teach like a classroom teacher where I take questions during sermons. Uh, so occasionally we do this. So let's see how it goes. Let's start out with, uh, is it possible to lose your salvation from dying with unrepented sin? Okay, let's just start out with something that's controversial out of the gate. <laughs> Hey, sweet, let's do it. Uh, so there are different views on this, and there's a right view, mine. Uh, so let's, uh, let's walk through this. There are uh, folks who have answered this question in different ways, uh, but I will give you the answer that I think is the most clear biblical answer to this question. When we go to John 3.16, we hear Jesus talk about salvation, right? Um, and so let's go there. You guys probably know this verse. We're just going to start out with a pretty easy one. Here we go. One hand is not the best way to do this. Let's see if I can get my other one in. There it is. Okay. And old guy glasses and old guy broken shoulder. And okay. This is what it says. This is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay. Now, I, I think that words mean stuff. And, and so they, when they say something, they mean it. You cannot have everlasting life that's not everlasting, okay? So if you've believed on Jesus Christ, you are saved. You are not going to lose your salvation. That's not the issue. The issue is not losing your salvation. The issue is an issue of how are you going to live in following Christ that when we come before him, you can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. This isn't about a get out of hell free card and can I lose that card? If that's the mindset that you have, you're probably not believing on Jesus in the way that you need to believe on Jesus, okay? There are those who, there's some passages in the scripture that, that you could kind of interpret as, oh, those who are faithful to the end and things like that. But what you have to do when you're reading the Bible is you have to understand the difference in passages that are talking about salvation and passages that are talking about rewards, living for the Lord, okay? And there's a lot of passages about salvation that are seen the wrong way. And there's a good number of passages about rewards that are seen as salvation instead of about rewards. Okay, I'll give you an example. Uh, the parable of the sower. Okay, this is my opinion, so it's correct. So the parable of the sower, we have a sower who sows seed, right? Some of it's on the hard ground, 
right? Some of it's over here, some of it's over there, and some of it's over there. And what it says is that the stuff on the hard ground, the birds just come, they eat it and, and take it away. It never sprouts. Then you've got some that sprouts up really fast, but the sun comes, it withers out, and, and, and does not, is not fruitful. Then you've got some that grows up, but sort of the cares of the world are like weeds that come and kind of choke out its fruitfulness. And then you have the fruitful seed, right? This much, 10, 20, 60, 40, 100, whatever, you know. He told, the, he told the parable more than once because, you know, that's what teachers do. And so what we have here, in my opinion, is a rewards passage, not a salvation passage, as where a lot of people in sort of the evangelical church, um, which is, you know, our, our general thought, we're evangelistic, right? And so we are very concerned about getting people saved. We tend to then take that, that uh, way of looking at the scripture and sort of bring it to so many passages that aren't really about salvation itself. I believe that's a passage about rewards. I think all three of those that sprouted new life were saved, okay? It's new life, right? It sprouted. They received the word with gladness, it says, and sprouted. So in some cases, they sprouted up and never were fruitful, in another case, they were probably fruitful for a little while and they got choked out. In another case, they were fruitful for a lifetime. You want to be that third group, but I think all three groups are saved, okay? So there are people, I think, who have been saved who end up not being very fruitful. I think that when that's the case, uh, you will know it because you never can seem to get anywhere. Life doesn't seem to be good. If you're doing real good right now and you're living a completely sinful life, I would ask yourself very seriously whether you've ever truly believed in Jesus. If you have truly believed in Jesus, the chances that for a long period of time you're going to live this great life where everything's going great while you're in unrepentant sin is unlikely. Instead, my experience is when I'm sinning, things don't go good. And no, that's not what this is about. You're all thinking like, see, sin. No, it's not. It's not. It's old. That's, that's the sin of the world that's caused that. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. No, I do not believe that once you believed on Jesus Christ, Right? that you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you believed, that God raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. That's it. It doesn't say, unless later you say the F word. It doesn't say that, okay? And some of you are like, oh, that's a good thing, because this morning on the way in here, somebody cut me off. Anyway, uh, that's not how it works. If that were the case, we'd all have to get resaved, certainly every week, but for me, like four times a day, right? And that's putting the body. That's, you know, where if every time that we did not meet the standard that we need to be meeting, that we need to be growing in, growing in holiness. We had to get re-saved just in case we died before we repented. That would be a problem. The bus is coming. You go, oh, boop, right? Bus hits you. Too bad. Great life in the Lord. But that last little thing right there, you could have thought about what you were saying. But come on, that's just not the way that our Lord is. If you're saved, if you're in his hand, you cannot be taken out of his hand. But that is not the main thing to be, you should, if your life right now is thinking about, oh, I hope I don't lose my salvation, I hope I don't lose my salvation, you're missing the joy of the life in Christ, which is about following him. Now, I will tell you that there are people, as I said, who disagree with me on that, who think that you can walk away from the Lord and lose your salvation, so on. And what I, they're generally referred to, what's the word? Wrong. Okay, <laughs> let's go to the next, no. That's fine, I'm cool with them. Some of the old school Wesleyans in here right now just like, ooh, I don't like this. It's all right, guys. You, you don't have to be right about everything. Here we go. Um, what are your thoughts on Christians joining the military? Good question. Uh, 
I think that it can be a wonderful and honorable thing to serve your country. I think it can be a very Christian thing to serve your country. The issues that I, that I will deal with when a young man or young woman wants to join the military and I talk to them is to always remember who your king is first. And so if you are asked to do things, because especially when we talk about war and things like that, sometimes there are, not everyone in the military is a good person. A lot of them are great people. But you might be asked to do something that you know violates scripture, that you know violates morality. In that case, you have to, you have to you're, you're bound to, and even the military tells you this, you're bound to disobey that order. Other than that, you can faithfully serve and defend your family and your country and feel very good about that as a calling in the Lord, if that's your calling. I wouldn't do it just because you don't have anything else to do. It needs to be a calling because it's significant. These men and women are, are putting themselves on the line. And that if you're not called to do it, when, the, when push comes to shove, you may not have what you need to do the job. And so for those of you who have served in the military, I think it can be wonderful Christian service. Uh, it, yeah, let's, let's give them a hand. I think that as long as you remember that Jesus is king and that everything that we do for our country, it's about service and it's about defending our country and it's about being there for our family, for our neighbors, for our friends. That's what it's about. Uh, but our first call is always Jesus. Don't ever let anything, including a flag, including your own spouse, including your own kids, anything come between you and Jesus and doing what's right there. All right. Let's see what else we got. Oh, oh that's too long of an answer. Uh, when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, how much abuse should accept from a child as a parent? When does discipline triumph over mercy for kids? Is it just a sermon of the believer? It's a good question. Kids are a little different now than they were when I was a kid. Because for me, the word no was unthinkable. I would not be before you today had I ever said to my dad, no. I still, he's old now, and I'm still like, I don't know. He might be able to, you know, take me out. So um, nowadays, it's a little different. There's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not going to get into all that. The answer is zero abuse. Zero from your children. Um, discipline is not about not being merciful. Discipline is the most merciful thing you can give a child. Because if they don't get it, what's going to happen? You've got to give your children discipline while the stakes are low. Because one of the things that I don't think we're, we're getting these days is they need a certain amount of freedom, and they need a certain amount of discipline. And if you don't give them discipline while well, the stakes are low, in other words, the things they do generally don't get them sent to jail for life. The things they do don't generally start, you know, long-term addictive behaviors and so on. That's when you want to teach discipline. Because later on, if they didn't get discipline when they were young, they're going to have to learn it from the world. So who would you rather was disciplining your kids? The criminal justice system? the sinful world, or you while they're young. I know they don't like it. It's kind of the point of discipline, right? God disciplines us. I have been spanked many times by the Lord. Not literally, like he's put me over his knee. It's much worse. I wish that was what it was. It's much worse than that. The answer is, you don't take abuse, and I'm using that word in terms of, in the terms that you would expect it. People use that word to say, mean a lot of things. What I mean when I say abuse is, any physical harm that's coming to you, um, extreme emotional abuse, not only if you're not from your kids, from anyone. And you're part of this body, and you have somebody in your family who's also part of this body, or somebody around, and, and you feel like there's abuse going on, let me know. 
because we'll come alongside to get a get you out of that situation and to help the person who has that problem okay the elders of this church were here to do that for you so let us know if that happens the answer is zero abuse mercy's fine mercy is good grace is good you should teach your children that there's a time and a place for that but not in the case of abuse in the case of a child who's literally being abusive towards a parent you gotta you gotta say no and let them face the consequences while the stakes are low all right uh acts 2 acts 23 5 paul says we should not talk ill about our leaders how does that translate to today It's so easy to speak ill about certain leaders. I wonder who they're talking about. Let's, let's go to Acts 23.5. You guys are, hey, let's do it. I said you could ask anything you wanted. Acts 23.5. Here we go. Somebody was ready for this one. Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Okay, um, that specific uh, verse is obviously in the context of the Jewish law and the Jewish uh, leaders and so on, but we can extend it uh, to the context of leaders. Here's what I would say. Our political leaders, which I assume is what you're talking about, are not our religious leaders. So let's start with that. They, they are not in a position of spiritual authority over us. They are in a position to bear the sword, which is to say their job is to punish wrongdoers, in society, to, get, to create and keep a society. It's a secular role. Um, can you speak ill of them? Well, I would, I would say there's a number of things that come into play here. Uh, you have the mind of Christ if you're a believer. And so whoever it is, there, God is not a Democrat. He is not a Republican. He's not an independent. He's God, okay? So he doesn't have a thing. What, the question is, what are you doing and is it what's right? I think the whole nature of a democratic system would suggest that you would speak negatively about the policies of some people and positively about the policies of other people and so on. So what I would say is it's more about your heart. It's more about whether you're harboring bitterness and anger, whether you're letting a root of bitterness grow up, uh, whether you are treating a person who you don't know. I, I guess, I'm guessing most of you don't know many of your political leaders. You're treating the person who you don't know in a way that you wouldn't want to be treated. That just goes straight to the, the old golden rule, right? That you ought to do others you would have them do unto you. So you don't know. Rarely do you know all the reasons why anybody does anything. And so I would be careful about how harshly you criticize people when you don't know much about them. But here's the deal. Most of these people are not Christ followers, okay? If you don't believe that, I don't know what country you're living in. Um, these people are not, and I'm not talking about whether they're saved. We talked about that earlier. There's a difference between being saved and living a life that's following Christ. Most of these people, by the time they get into a position of, let's say, national leadership, have probably made enough compromises that their Christ following is no longer very strong, okay? I'm not saying that's true about everybody. I'm just saying a lot of these people, and lost people act like lost people. Um, and people who want power act like people who want power, and they're going to do the things they think they ought to do to get more power, to make people happy. And the things that make people happy in society are not the things that God has said to us biblically. So they're going to fail you. I think it's okay to say, I don't like the policies of so-and-so, or this one, or that lady, or this guy, or whatever. I think that's fine. When you start being 
angry and abusive in your language towards people and talking as if people were like Satan incarnate, I think that's where things go a little over the line. Um, that's not very gracious. So from what he's saying here, I, let's, because I'm going to now talk about what he means in the context of the church. But in terms of uh, society, yeah, I think you can criticize your leaders. I think you'd be crazy not to. They're pretty criticizable. Uh, they, you know, they do some things that are pretty rotten. But what I've noticed is that people will criticize one leader, the one they don't like, when that person's in office. And then when the leader they like gets in office, they go, we shouldn't criticize our leaders. I'll let you guys think about how that looks to people on your Facebook feed when they go, I'm going back to like seven months ago when this other person was in office and you were like, this is a blah, 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 blah. And then the person you get in office and somebody says something, you comment on their thing and go, you know, hey, we're not supposed to criticize our leaders except if they're the ones I don't like, right? So be careful about that. There's a hypocr hypocrisy issue there. I'm going to leave that where it is. Let's see what else. Oh, no, I was going to tell you about, uh, don't ever criticize your pastor. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, you all, uh, within the context of those who are in spiritual authority who have been called to serve you, um, there is a, a degree of, we've, we've lost something in our culture um, called honor. We don't tend to honor our elders. We don't tend to honor the people. Now, part of that is because a lot of people have acted dishonorably, to be fair. Right? It's not just we just lost it out of nowhere. We lost it largely because the people who were asking for honor were not being honorable. Um, Subject to the person acting honorably, you should honor the roles that different people are in. Now, I, there, when I was uh, practicing law and doing a lot of litigation, there were judges who I thought were pretty good men and women, and there were judges who I knew were not. In every case, I called them your honor. I didn't, I didn't go into the courtroom and not honor their role, okay? So whether it's in the world, whether it's in the church, there's a certain amount of honor that goes to the role. And when it comes to the elders of your church that are praying for you, that are thinking about you, that are serving you, um, some honor is, is due to them. That's what the Bible says, okay? There should be honor to those people. And so I would say that a lot of criticizing would probably not fit very well with honoring those people who are pouring their lives out for you whether you understand everything that's going on or not. Of course, no one understands everything that's going on, right? I'll leave that there. Um, what else do we got? Uh, oh, man, you guys are just got the good ones here. Uh, when my employment forces me to follow slash respect slash tolerate other people's beliefs, how should I handle this as a Christ follower? Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, do whatever they say. No, listen. Um, that's an interesting one and one that is going to be more and more and more and more and more important as we go on. If you're a public school teacher, by the way, um, it's probably time to start thinking about how we might start getting more Christian private schools around uh, because you are likely to not, there will come a time not too far in the future where you will not be able to consistently be in a public school and follow Christ effectively. That's just the way it probably is going to be, okay? Um, you need to understand that our culture and even our government, they actually have views, and they actually speak those views. Our government has a view, and right now its view is incredibly sinful in a number of areas, okay? What is being taught to your children, their philosophy of life, worldview that's being taught to your children is in fact evil, sinful, and when they ask you to participate in that, 
that's going to be a problem. Speaking specifically there to school teachers, but I know that wherever you are, there's a certain amount of uh, participation with the world and its ideas that you're being asked to do in different jobs. So here's, there, there were a few terms here. One was follow, the other was respect, the other was tolerate. Let's talk about respect and tolerate for a minute. Respect, give everyone respect, okay? I don't care who they are, I don't care what they've done. Give them respect as a person made in the image and likeness of God. Man, woman, child, they're made in the image and likeness of God. So respect, that's easy, everybody gets that. Tolerate, so that word is interesting because it used to mean when you have a different idea than me, we're not gonna go have a duel outside over it. Like, I will tolerate you, right? Like, I'm, I'm tolerating this person. Now what tolerate means in the world is accept and celebrate, right? You are intolerant if you don't accept and celebrate everything that you're asked to accept and celebrate. That is not tolerance. That's never what tolerance meant, uh, but it is what it means now. So the old way of tolerance, the actual meaning of the word, yeah, you should do that. You should tolerate people without coming to blows or without having to get in screaming and yelling matches and recognize that you live in the world, but you're not of it. And that, of course, lost people will act like lost people. And you have respect for them as made in the image and likeness of God, and you tolerate them. But then there's the follow. That was the other one that was asked. No, absolutely not. This is the time, I was thinking about this this week. This is the time where it's time to decide if you're going to follow Christ faithfully to the end. Because that question is coming for you soon. It will not be long now before we're going to have to make some decisions that are going to affect us financially. You've probably already made decisions that have affected you in terms of your friends, in terms of the family that you talk to or how much you talk to them, in terms of a number of things, because people are going to continue to reject you because they reject Christ, because they reject the Scripture it's going to become more and more difficult. So if you don't have the desire to let the Holy Spirit, because you can't do this on your own, to let the Holy Spirit give you the strength that you're making the decision now, when it comes down to it, if it's my job or the Lord, I trust him over this. When it comes down to it, if my best friend of however many years says, you accept this or I'm out, you have to be saying, Jesus is more important than you. For some people, they're going to lose their spouse. They're going to be estranged from their children. The scripture tells us all of this. This is the end of the age. Just be ready for it. That's what's coming. You need to understand that. But you cannot follow. You cannot speak lies in the service of liars. When people tell you, and and hopefully when we get into our skeptic series that we're planning to do here pretty soon, we will just go ahead and tackle the issue of, let's just say, the LGBTQ plus IA... I, I don't know what they all are. There's a lot of letters there. Did I get it? We're going to see woke. Uh, I'm awake. I'm awake. Um, we're going to discuss that. Okay. I'm not trying to make light of it. It's a very serious issue that affects people in a very serious way. Uh, and people are struggling. The problem is this. People are struggling and the world is telling them, no, keep going, keep going, go further. I celebrate. And that is a lie that will harm them. We think that what they're saying is if you don't accept it, you're harming them. See, that's the trick. It's, it's like emotional terrorism. If you don't accept and celebrate this person and what they've chosen with their lifestyle, you're going to make them hurt themselves. You're going to make them feel bad. And what I'm saying is if we don't come in lovingly 
coming alongside people, showing them our true servant heart love. I'm not talking about judgment here. I'm talking about love. If we do not do that, they will continue to proceed down a path that the scripture tells us clearly they're going to die. It's going to kill them spiritually and in some cases physically. And so you cannot follow that. When you're asked to participate, you have to object. That's going to be difficult. What I would say is, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the elders, maybe your life group leader. If you find yourself in a situation where you're being asked to participate with evil. And we'll help, we'll help counsel you through it. We'll help counsel you through it. I don't want you, I'm the, do not go out and quit your job because there are unbelievers there who believe things you don't believe. That's crazy. There's no, you couldn't be in the world. You know, if that was, if God just wanted to zip us up to heaven when we got saved, he would have done that. We're here, remember, for them. If we pull ourselves out of all these places because it's starting to get a little hot, things are starting to get a little tough, who's going to be there to speak the gospel to them? So remember that. Don't just, don't, don't run away. Don't run away. God has called you to, you're here physically in this room right now because God has called you to this time and this place for the people that live around here to speak into their lives. Do not run away from that. All right. Is there a difference between faith and belief? If so, what is it? Um, yes, there is. Um, faith is believing those things that you don't see. Okay? Based on the things that you do see. So, Faith is the piece of belief that lets you believe beyond the thing that you can see. So anything that you can't see that you believe in, you're, that's where faith is operative. If you believe, so there's some really tall trees outside. And if you go out there, you cannot see all their roots that are holding them up. But you probably believe that there are roots there or else as soon as the wind came, we'd be in big trouble. Right? Because those are some big trees, beautiful trees. Uh, you believe that the roots are there. That's faith. That process is faith. You believe in a thing that you cannot see based on the thing that you can see. Okay, faith in God, belief in God is a gift from him to give you that faith so that you can believe. Okay, they're very intertwined, but belief is the status of thinking something is true, thinking something is actual. Faith is the gift of God that gives you the ability to connect believing in the thing that you can't see, the thing that you hope for. Hopefully that, let's see what else we got. Um, is the Bible, if the Bible is not self-contradictory, it's not, and Romans talks about faith over works, how do we reconcile the book of James? All right, all right, all right, cool, 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 cool. Um, so we've talked a lot about salvation is by grace through faith alone, not of works, right? Lest anyone should boast. We talked about that last week quite a bit. In James, we have a section that talks about faith a little bit, faith and works in a way that might seemingly be a little bit different. So let me get there. Give me a second. Okay. What does a prophet, my brethren? This is uh, if you want to look it up in your Bible. By the way, those Bibles in front of you, if you don't have a Bible at home or you've used it up, Okay, <laughs> take one of those home with you. That's our gift to you. You don't owe us anything. We want you to have the Word of God in your home. That's a Bible for you to take with you if you would like. Um, just, just take it home. All right, this is uh, James 2, uh, starting at verse 14. What does a prophet, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. All right. Then it goes on. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar, etc.? And we just talked about Abraham in the fourth and fifth chapter, the fourth chapter of Romans. Okay, here's the deal. We're not talking about exactly the same thing here. What James is talking about is that if you have faith in God and you become a Christ follower, the natural what we, we might use the word normative, reaction to that is works. Your faith is producing works. If you believe, if you believe in Jesus, you believe that God loved you so much that while you were yet a sinner, he died for you, that he saved you, that he loves you, that you're going to spend eternity with him, that you're going to be closer to him than anyone else in the world, that should affect your behavior. And so when he's talking about it, he's saying, look, you're saying that you have faith, but you don't do anything that remotely looks like you believe anything that you say you believe. That's not going to work. That sounds like dead faith. Okay. This isn't, this isn't all about salvation and so on. This is about what does it look like? What does it look like to be a Christ follower? If you're wondering whether you're saved or not and so on, you probably are. You wouldn't probably be worried about it if the Holy Spirit wasn't, you know, telling you that. But I don't know. If you believe on Jesus, right, then you're saved. What do we read? Romans 10, 9. Let's see if we can get there a little faster this time. I realize I can use this hand a little bit. All right. What does it say there? I want to read it exactly. Uh, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I can't make it more simple for you. Okay? Once that's done, you're saved. You don't have to be worrying about it. You're not going to commit the unforgivable sin. People have that issue too. I think that's a question on here about the unforgivable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Look, that was a thing, in my opinion, that was happening at the time that Jesus was around. And the, oh, let me get into that real quick and I'll come back to the other thing because somebody asked it. I'm going to read the question they asked. Um, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, what is it and why is it an unforgivable sin? So here's what was going on. You have the Pharisees, the, the leaders of the people. Now, we know a couple of things. From John 3, we know Nicodemus, one of the Sanhedrin, comes to Jesus at night because he's embarrassed to come during the day because he doesn't want his buddies to see him coming to Jesus. He comes at night and says this, we know that you're from God. No one can do the works that you're doing unless they're from God. So what do we know from that? We know that the Sanhedrin, that these leaders, they knew Jesus was from God. They knew that the works he was doing were from God. And then he was doing works, and publicly in front of the people, they were attributing those works, the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, they were attributing to Satan. Okay, As he's healing people, they're saying, you didn't do that by God, you did that by Satan, when they knew it was God that was working through him to protect themselves. Okay, If you do that, which you can't do, Jesus is not in his, in his earth, re, earth physical ministry right now, yeah, I would be very concerned about whether you could ever be saved. Right now, if it's a thing that you're concerned about, where you'd ask a question about it, certainly you're not. Okay? The only real sin that will keep you from heaven is not accepting Christ. Amen. Okay? That's the thing. If you're concerned, 
you're good, okay? Because the Holy Spirit's in you. That's the only reason you'd be concerned. Those who would commit the unforgivable sin don't want heaven. They don't want Jesus. People think that like God's sending people to hell and like they're like, oh, if I only knew. That's not what it's like. They don't want him. They don't want him. C.S. Lewis says the doors to hell are locked from the inside. Okay? They don't want him. Not at the cost of having to bow their knee. Some of you may have children, older children. Some of your children may have gone through a time where they acted in such a way that if they were going to continue in that path, they weren't going to live in your house. Right? I hope some of you have had that time because kids are rebellious. And if none of us have had that experience, that would be a problem. They're not going to live in your house if they're, going to, if they're going to act that way. If they're not going to honor and respect you when you're providing a home for them, they don't get to live there. This is the nature of the problem. If they say, God, I'd love to have heaven and all the good stuff, although they wouldn't. There's nothing about heaven that they would like because it's good, and that's not what they want. But they're saying, I want to be in the house and do whatever I want. And he's saying, that's not how this house works. They don't want to be there, Okay. Those are the people who are in this situation. Those are the people who would blaspheme the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to worry about that. Um, the, I'm going I'm to leave that one there and go to the next one. Uh, what the heck is a Wesleyan? In the wild, they, uh, you will notice them by their... No. Uh, so, for, as some of you know, we are connected to the Wesleyan Church. Um, we, the Wesleyan church is, uh, like any other denomination, they're believers. They believe in the Bible. They believe that Jesus Christ is son of God, that we're saved by grace through faith. They believe all the things that we preach about here. Uh, they have a few distinctives that come from, uh, you know, the history of their church. When I say distinctives, like things that they believe that maybe not every other person believes and so on. Um, those are not things that they get real worked up about. They're what we call secondary issues. Uh, the history of the Wesleyans is that the Wesleyans split off. There's a guy named John Wesley. So if you've ever heard of the Methodist church, that church started with John Wesley. John Wesley was an awesome man of God uh, who was an itinerant preacher and uh, had a huge following, uh, a bunch of Christ followers that he led in England. And, and in America, we had these circuit riders that ride around on horses and go to all these different places and preach the gospel and start churches and so on. That's Methodism. There was a time in our country you may have heard of uh, where there was a war, a civil war, over slavery. At the time that slavery was becoming a hot issue, the Methodists were pro-slavery. Well, I don't want to say they're pro-slavery. They supported those who wanted to maintain slavery. And the Wesleyans broke off from them because they were abolitionists, okay? So that's where Wesleyanism, Wesleyanism and Methodism broke off. The Wesleyans have become more of what we call an evangelical denomination, really all about the scripture, seeing people saved, seeing people discipled. The Methodists have become what we call a mainline denomination. They tend to be way more progressive. Um, in fact, that church is splitting right now all over the place because of their views on LGBTQ plus IA. Got them all. All right. Wesleyans. Plus, I said plus, I said plus, get it all. All right, is it fair to call Romans Paul's gospel, as some call the book of Acts, Luke's second gospel? You can call it whatever you want as long as you read it. Um, 
So yeah, it's interesting because the word gospel is used in two ways. When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the good news of salvation that we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, his resurrection. But we also use the word gospel to refer to the first four books of the New Testament, which are narratives of the life of Jesus, which obviously preach the good news, which is why we call them gospels. But technically, all the books of the New Testament preach the good news, so we could call them all gospels, but that would get confusing. So no, I wouldn't call Romans the gospel uh, because it's not a narrative of the life of Jesus. Um, and I wouldn't call Acts a, the gospel of Acts because it's not a narrative of the life of Jesus. It's a narrative of the work of the Holy Spirit and the apostles and the early church. So hopefully that's not what I would call it, but if you want to call it that, go for it. Um, as long as you're tithing, do whatever you want. Just, I'm kidding about that. Some claim there are other gospels. Uh, hang on, I'm do these ones that I've already done. Some claim there are other gospels. How do we know the ones we have are the ones that should have been canonized? Canonized means included in the scripture. Um, so here's how we know. If you ever have the opportunity to read these other gospels, what people call the Gnostic gospels, the gospel of Thomas, the gospel of Mary, the gospel of Baskin Robbins, whatever, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of stuff. These are second century uh, works by the Gnostics. They are silly. I mean, honestly, they're silly. In the Gospel of Thomas, you have Jesus rising from the dead, and then you have the cross floating out of the tomb and talking, okay? Um, it, it's, it's silliness. We know where they came from. They are not firsthand accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, the reason they were never included in the canon is because no one thought they were canonical, you know? That no one thought that these were firsthand uh, accounts of Jesus' life. The things that went into the Bible are the books that the church was already using, already understood to have the imprimatur of the Holy Spirit on them, okay? So people talk as if like, yeah, the church got together, you know, you watch The Vinci Code or something, which that's where you should get your theology, by the way. And it's like, oh, there was a conspiracy and it was, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. The books of the New Testament were already in circulation. They were the books that were being used by the church for hundreds of years prior to uh, the, the canonization of the scripture in the 300s, okay? They were already the books. We knew what they were. We knew which ones were of the Holy Spirit and which ones weren't by a number of different ways of discerning that, okay? The gospels, the eyewitness accounts, the letters that we have from Paul, from Peter, Jude, etc. We know who the authors were. We know, in most cases, we don't know who, who the author of Hebrews was, although a lot of people think it was Paul. There's all kinds of theories. That's kind of a fun one. But we do know that it was used from the earliest time, and we ha it's clearly scriptural. So those were already the books. When they got together and canonized them, they just recognized that. People act like they were like all these people who were against it and wanted to add all these other things. No, there weren't. There were like a couple weirdos, right, who were like, yeah, we should add this in or that. And they're like, no, that's not scripture. And they moved on. Um, this is not a big secret conspiratorial thing. These were very public things that happened that recognized what the church was already doing. So we put the books in the canon, we, the church, put the books in the canon that they recognized to be canonical that were handed down from Christ, apostles, and then the early church. We're, we're, we're not talking about being long way in time from, say, John, who didn't die until the end of the first century. Okay? Uh, we, the actual disciples understood. Peter calls Paul's letter scripture. Okay? Peter, who was the head of the church in Jerusalem, they understood what was going on. So for those who make these conspiracies, and I don't have time to go, I could do a whole thing and have done. You can go back and watch the Skeptics Forum stuff, um, and you'll see me talk about all of this stuff and historical facts about scripture. 
But that's why we don't include the gospel of Thomas with the talking cross. Um, all right. Um, 11.15, we're going to do one more. One more. Some people have said, love the sinner, hate the sin. Others have suggested we say, love the sinner, love the sinner. At what point does love for our neighbor just become tolerance of sin? This is a complicated one. It becomes tolerance of sin when you start tolerating sin. Uh, here's the deal. Love the sin, uh, love the sin. No, there, no one's saying that, hopefully. Love the sinner, hate the sin is not in the Bible. It's a way of um, looking at the way that we approach those who, are, who have sinful lives. There is a lot of truth to love the sinner, hate the sin. Um, the truth is, is that in terms of how God looks at it, uh, he hates sin. He hates it. And the idea that we would say, well, st- let's not worry about that part. Let's just love the sinner, love the sinner, love the sinner. Yes, love the sinner. Absolutely. But don't love the sin. Don't love the sin. If we cannot be honest with one another about what the scripture says. The scripture calls sin, sin. It's not nothing. Our Lord was murdered for it. A price was paid for it. To act like it's not a big deal. To act like we can live our lives in sin and just act like it's not a big deal. Hey, it's all good. Hey, should we sin more that grace may abound? No. No. So the idea that it's particularly judgmental to hate sin, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's just reality. We got, guys, we got to get back to reality around here. You know, we got to just start speaking truth again. I cannot help the fact that people are offended by things that are true. I can help the way that I talk and the way that I treat people. But I can't, I can't make the Bible say something different and still be loving my Lord. It says what it says. Okay? I love you. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Saved by grace through faith. Okay? That's fine. But if you say, I'm not going to focus on, I'm not going to talk about sin, it makes people uncomfortable. Yes, they need to be uncomfortable so they don't spend the rest of eternity very uncomfortable. People need to know sin so they know the good news that they can be saved. Jesus loves you. Okay? You are a sinner in need of a savior. You, if you are not in Christ, you are going to hell. If I don't tell you that, I just don't love you. I don't want you to go to hell, and you don't have to. Jesus has died for you. Let's have the worship team come up. Um, there were some more questions there. Maybe we'll get to them another time. I hope that uh, that was helpful for you. Uh, and yeah, good. We like, we like the Bible. Um, I want you to start praying. We are leaving for Honduras uh, next Sunday night. We'll be here on Sunday. Next Sunday night, we're leaving for Honduras, 25 of your brothers and sisters uh, to go down. Yeah, it's going to be good. (laughs) To go down and serve people. And I just, if you guys would just be praying that hearts would be open to the gospel. Um, that the service that we do, whether that's in construction or that's working with the kids or whatever, that would open the hearts of people who desperately need Jesus, just like the people here. And we want to go to the ends of the earth. We want to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples for Christ. That's what we've been told to do in Acts. That's what's on the wall out there. Make disciples. So we're going to go try to do that. I need the church as a body. We work together. If you can't be there, you can pray. 
okay? You can pray. You can give. You can do those kinds of things. So um, we love you. Let's pray, and then let's sing together and take communion. Father, I love you, Lord. I thank you for this body who has great questions. I pray that you've helped give us some clarity that your Holy Spirit has been at work. I thank you, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit. I certainly couldn't be a, a teacher, a preacher without your Holy Spirit. I couldn't walk up here without your Holy Spirit. None of us can get up and face the day without your Holy Spirit. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil, for you're with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us, right? You love us. God, give us the strength to speak the truth and to do it in love so that no one can look at us and say, oh, they think they know the truth, but they're not loving. No, let us do it in the most love we can, but let us be true. Let us speak truth. God, let us break through the darkness with truth. Give us the power to move forward as a body. We love you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.